All right. Well, good morning, Southview Baptist. How are we? Welcome to you all. So glad that you're here today worshiping Jesus Christ with us. If you're a guest, welcome. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's so good to have you with us worshiping today. If you are a guest, we'd love to connect with you. The best and easiest way that you can do that, if you're uh, new here, but this is your first time, or you've been here a few times, and we haven't really been able to connect with you yet, best thing you can do is to pull out your cell phone right now and text the word CONNECT to our number on the screen, 910-424-1298. Just text CONNECT. We'll send you a link. Tap on that, answer a couple of quick questions. It'll come to us just so we can know who you are, how we can minister to you in the best way possible uh, so we can begin that process of ministering to you in the Lord. But again, we're so glad to have you here today worshiping with us. And for everyone, before we begin our time together in worship of the Lord, we have um, some announcements we want to let you know about. Our big three announcements for the day. Uh, things we want you to know going into this week here at Southview, how to be plugged in and connected. Big idea, big announcement number one, core Christianity. Starting that class next Sunday, October 3rd. Uh, it's going to cover the basic ideas of what it means to be a Christian. So this class is for everyone. If you're new to the faith, you're not a Christian yet, you've been a Christian for a while but feel like you should be farther along than you are, or you've been a Christian for decades, it's a great time for you just to come and reconnect. You can never uh, uh, be deep enough in the Lord and in what it means to be in Christ. And this is going to be a wonderful class for you to reconnect with those things. So if you want to be a part of that, just text the word CORE to our number, 910-424-1298. Just text CORE there. It'll get you signed up for that class. Number two, Baptism Sunday. We're going to do baptisms October 24th. If you are ready for that, you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and you're ready to follow up in baptism, text the word baptism to us, 910-424-1298. We do ask that you do that as quick as possible so we can begin the process of putting your testimony together and getting ready for that, for baptism. So if you're interested in baptism, you want to come in and talk about that, just text the word baptism to 910-424-1298. And then last big announcement for you. Fall ministry opportunities. We have a couple of things coming up here in the fall that are great opportunities for you to minister and serve. First, Thanksgiving baskets, Thanksgiving food baskets. Um, as you leave out this door to your left, you're going to see a table set up where you can find out about our Thanksgiving food baskets where we give you a sheet of paper. You take that, you buy those things, and then just bring those back in. And we give those to families in need here during the holidays coming up on Thanksgiving. So if you'd like to be a part of that, do that. October 10th is going to be when we need those in by. So swing by here after service, grab one of those pieces of paper and do that uh, so uh, you can be a part of that. Second fall ministry opportunity for you, Halloween. Halloween. October 31st, uh, we made a little bit of a transition several years ago when it comes to um, Halloween and using it as a reach outreach opportunity. Uh, instead of doing a big fall festival here on site, we instead ask you to set up little mini Halloween outreaches in your home. Uh, and, and as kids from your neighborhood, families from your neighborhood come by your home, it, it just made total sense. It's the one night a year. Everyone in your neighborhood is going to come knock on your door and want to come talk to you and ask you to give them things. And we kept asking you to leave your house and come here. That made no sense to us. 
Do they say, why don't you just stay where you live and minister to the people right there that you live by? So if you want to be a part of that, just text the word Halloween to our number, 910-424-1298. Text Halloween. We'll get you signed up. Um, we're going to, in a couple of weeks, have a training time on, uh, after the 11 o'clock service uh, that will let you know kind of what it means and what it looks like. We're going to provide resources for you. We're going to give you candy. Um, if you'd like to grill hot dogs and give out hot dogs, which we found has been the greatest thing to do. People love that. You, know, you want a hot dog? It's so fun because people come by. I had one guy come by. like, hey, you want a hot dog and some candy? I'm like, you guys really love Halloween. And we said, no, no, we just love people. And so we just want to uh, just encourage you in the Lord. And so he's like, yeah, that was great. And so, so if you want to be a part of that, text Halloween to 910-424-1298 to get set up for that. And then we'll be in touch with you and get you the resources that you need. A great opportunity for us to connect with the families that we live around. And for all of other announcements, you can download our app. Uh, Southview Baptist Church app, iTunes or Google Play. Uh, you can download that app. You're going to find all the announcements. You're going to be able to sign up for events. You're going to be able to find a journey group. Uh, give online. There are two ways to give. You can give either online through the app or you can give in our giving boxes as you leave, whatever is best or easiest for you. Uh, but you can use that app to give online as well, however that works easiest for you. But download that app. That's how you're going to stay connected. Well, at as we transition into our worship time together, um, I want to share some things with you, some, some uh, prayer concerns that we have um, for families uh, connected with our church, and then let that be a time for us to just pray with one another. So a couple of things. Um, one, um, if, uh, if you've been a part of Southview for a long time, you're probably uh, familiar with a lady by the name of Alice Cashwell. Alice uh, served in the music ministry here at Southview for uh, many years, and uh, her family have since moved on. Uh, but Alice has been diagnosed with cancer. And so um, many of you that know her already know that, and so we're in prayer for her. So I just want to let you know that so you can be in prayer for her as well. And as we hear of updates, we will let you know how we can be specifically praying. Uh, second prayer um, update I want to bring, you, uh, bring to your attention. Again, if you've been a part of church here for a while, uh, you are familiar with Roy Chasen. Roy has been a, uh, a major part of uh, church life here for many, many years. Uh, Roy, on Friday afternoon, uh, passed away uh, as well. Roy, um, a little over a year ago, found a tumor in his brain they went in for surgery and has since then over the last year had significant complications as a result of that been in and out of hospital and rehab and hospice care it's been a been a long battle for him and he went on to be with the lord on friday afternoon and as we are aware of arrangements things like that we will make sure we let you know but but we want us to be in prayer obviously for roy's family as they're walking through this season. And if you know Roy at all, uh, as I talk to people who know Roy, who've been around this church for a long time with Roy, the one thing they say about Roy is that guy knows the Bible and loved teaching the Bible. He loved God's Word and he loved teaching God's Word. And what I want to do is we're praying for obviously Roy's family. I want this also to be a, a springboard for us for our own lives. What does this mean for us when we see a man like Roy, who loved God's Word and spent significant time studying, personally diving in, teaching the Word, and you see a man like that go on to glory that now leaves a void in who in our 
body is going to step in and fill that? And I believe the answer is every single one of us. I want to read a scripture to you as we transition to spend a little time praying for this and then go into worship. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Listen to the, what it, how it describes the Bible. Listen to what it says. Colossians three sixteen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. It's describing what we're doing right now, worship. It, and as it talks about us in engaging with the scriptures, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As we sit here today and we read the Bible and we study the Bible and we sing the words, the scriptures, and as we pray the scriptures, as we do all those things, the idea is not just that we're, we're again, reading those things and seeing those things and hearing those things, but that we're allowing the word of Christ to dwell, to live in us richly. That is going to be where true worship comes from. And so as you read this, as we allow God's word to dwell in us richly, now we're able to teach and admonish and encourage and sing and and be thankful in our hearts. It starts with God's word dwelling richly in you. That is going to be the springboard for true worship in your life. So I want to encourage you to bow your heads for me. I want to pray. And the first thing we want to do is obviously pray for Roy's family, Teresa and their daughters. So Lord, we do ask, God, just your hand on Chase and family. God, as they are walking through this season, as they are experiencing this loss, We ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to them in the way that only you can. And that you would do in them what only you can. I pray, Lord, that this, God, as they mourn, as many of us mourn, God, we mourn, as the Bible says, with hope. Because we know that Jesus, Roy, ultimately belonged to you. And right now, he's in your presence. And I thank you, God, that at this moment, we never offer up another prayer for Roy. He does not need our prayers. So I thank you for that. That he is totally healed and in your presence. But God, I do now shift our prayers towards us. For his family, for his church family, for his friends. I ask you, Lord, that you would minister again in the way that only you can, Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, for us here in this room that we would not only hear what your word says, but God, we'd look at the the life of a man like Roy, and, and, and that would be a testimony and a pushing forward of us for I want to allow the word of Christ to dwell richly in my heart also. I want God's word to live and dwell and reside in me and as a result change me. I don't want to just read it. I just don't, I don't want to just know stories. I don't want to just hear it being read or taught. But I want it to dwell richly in me and change me from the inside out. I pray, Lord, that that becomes more and more and more who we are here in this room. Do this, Lord Jesus, in us, your people. So as we sing now in just a moment, I pray, God, that your word dwells in us. And as a result of that, we sing, just like Colossians 3 said. We sing, not just because your word's on the screen, not just because we like that song, because your word is dwelling in us and bubbling up out of us in praise. 
do this in us, your people. Empower our praise. Stir our praise as we allow your word to dwell richly in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Do this in us, your people, for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Good morning, Southview. We're going to go ahead and invite you guys to stand with us as we worship and celebrate God in his house. Amen. Yeah. 
our living hope. Yeah, we continue to sing and celebrate.
because this is true, because you are our living hope, Christ Jesus, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts here today so that we would proclaim and exclaim as King David said. He said, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom of God and you are exalted as head above all. And what that means for us, church, is that frees us to worship the king, right? And if you're here today and you don't know this Jesus that we're talking about, I pray that the Holy Spirit would move in this gathering in such a way that your heart would be turned closer to him, that that would be true of all of us. God, I pray that you would lift the veil from our eyes, that we would taste and see that you are good, that our lives would Proclaim your holiness, not just words on a page that we sing, but that our hearts will be transformed, that our whole life would sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And we sing together these deep, wonderful mysteries of God. Let's sing.
before the throne of grace majesty before my eyes let it take my breath away a million angels fall face down on the floor all to echo holy is the about the glory and majesty and power, dominion of our God. We want to let that be something that drives us now into our prayers. And so we want to take some time, like we do every week, and just spend a little time together as a congregation praying. We do this for two reasons. One, because we believe there's power in us praying together. And second, we want it to be a time where we teach how to pray. And the, the model prayer that we see in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 6 the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray, and he gives them that, what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we take a little chunk of that every week and kind of talk through that just for a moment and pray towards that end again because we believe there's power in us praying together and we want to teach in that. So I want to take just a second and focus in on that last little line. Deliver us from evil. Prayer is spiritual warfare. We, we have an actual enemy who actually does hate you and actually does want to destroy you. John chapter 10, Jesus says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his desire. That's his goal. That's his plan. And the way that we combat that is by, in the Spirit, praying. And so, as we think about that line, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The best way to pray sort of spiritual warfare prayer, the best way to pray the Lord's protection over us really is to pray the Scriptures, right? It's already written. We already know it's ordained and given to us by God. And so praying the Scriptures is a, it's a powerful way to do this. And so I just want to give you a quick example to show this, and, and then we'll pray in this, in this way and, and, and let you spend a little time doing this. Psalm 130, verses 7 and 8. 
So look at what it says in Psalm 130, verses 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So in praying for Israel, praying that Israel would see the Lord and hope in the Lord and turn to the Lord and be redeemed by the Lord and be set free from its sins by the Lord, we can take that and really use that as a a powerful uh, uh, springboard for our own prayers, right? So, So think about it like this. If you just took that scripture and you just put a blank, what name, what situation, what circumstance do you want to put in there? Oh, blank, who you're praying for. Hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem blank from all their iniquities. I want to encourage you to bow your heads for me. Let's spend just a couple of minutes in prayer. Who are you praying for? What circumstance, what situation are you praying for? This word, pray his word. Take that name, take that place, take, whether it's your, your, if it's someone, a family member, a friend, a loved one, maybe it's your, your work, maybe it's your school, maybe it's your neighborhood that you're praying for, maybe it's our city that you're praying for, whatever it is, insert that name there and pray that God's word will be true in them. Right now, lift your prayer before the Lord. God, I pray first for us. I pray, God, that you would empower us to be praying people. That we won't complain about someone. That we won't fuss about someone. That we won't try to manipulate or, or, or cudgel into submission someone. That they would stop doing that bad thing and start doing a better thing. But that we would be men and women first of prayer. And we would ask you to do what we cannot. I thank you, God, that you put us in situations that are outside of our ability to control and make better because those are the perfect places for us to trust in you. That way you get to become the hero and not us. So I thank you for that. So I pray, Lord, as we're in those spots, and I think probably many of us in this room, if not all of us, can think of some place in our lives in which we feel that. I thank you for that. That is a gift from you. I ask you, Lord, that you would let those be opportunities for us to turn to you and be first in prayer, seeking you by faith. So, Lord, and also I just, I just pray for all the various people and places and circumstances and situations that have been lifted up here just this morning. I pray, God, that just like Psalm 130 says, that these people, that these circumstances, that these places 
God, they would hope in you. They would see that you are the great hope. You are the ultimate source of joy and salvation. We pray, God, that every single one of these individuals will see, God, that in you and you alone is steadfast love. With you is overwhelming redemption and salvation. That you will redeem them from all of their sins, set them free, empower them, make them new. We ask you, Lord God, that you would do this. And I pray, God, again for us that faith would fill our hearts for this. We're going to say amen in just a minute, and we're going to say amen with a smile on our face because we believe by faith that you can do what we cannot. And so we smile at the future, not because we know what we're going to do to make it better, but because we're trusting you. So we just say thank you. You do what only you can do, God. You do what only you can do. We trust you. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this, Lord, in your name, because you're the only one that can do anything anyway. So we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, if you have a Bible... Let's find the book of Galatians together. We're going to pick it up in Galatians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, use your, your phone. You have a Bible in the back of the pew in front of you. If you need to grab that, whatever works for you, let's find Galatians chapter 2 together. All right? So real quick, recapping what is going on here. So you got a guy named Paul. Paul went and planted some churches in an area called Galatia, which is sort of modern-day Turkey. So he went and told a bunch of people about Jesus, discipled them in the faith, raised up some pastors, started some churches, and then left to go do it other places. After he left, a group of people that we know called the Judaizers came in after that and said, Hey, you guys met Paul. Paul told you about Jesus. That's awesome. We're so excited about that. But listen, here's the thing. There's one thing that Paul failed to tell you. Yes, it's believed by faith in Jesus for salvation. Jesus died for your sin. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again. Yes and amen. you got to believe in Jesus to be a Christian. And though, if you want to be really spiritual, you want to be varsity, right? You want to you really walk in power in the Lord, you have to, yes, believe by faith in Jesus and also do these things. Specifically for them, it was... For men be circumcised, and for everyone, obey the dietary laws, right? Don't eat pork or shellfish, and obey, uh, 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 adhere to certain um, festival days and things like that. What's called the Mosaic Law, the Old Testament called as the law. It's just believe by faith in Jesus and do these things. What we've also seen is that wasn't just a weird thing some people did 2,000 years ago. This is very much still an issue that we deal with today. We still very much today have ingrained in us because it is as old as the Garden of Eden. Trying to figure out a way to make yourself better instead of just trusting in God and what God has desired to do in you. It is ingrained in us and it will always be there until Jesus comes back and mercifully makes us perfect in him. We're always going to be fighting in this. This is the fight of faith. And so we see this everywhere. Yes, believe by faith in Jesus for salvation, him and him alone. But if you're really going to be super spiritual, you also have to do this, right? So it's yes, believe in Jesus and speak in tongues. Yes, believe by faith in Jesus and just use the King James Version of the Bible. 
Right? Yes, believe by faith in Jesus and have this certain systematic theology. Believe by faith in Jesus and have this worship style. Right? Believe by faith in Jesus and be a part of this certain denomination. Right? Or no denomination. Right? You got that one non-denominational friend that they're like, no, we don't give in to these you know, man-made denominations. We're serious. Okay. Okay. You're legalistic too. You just have a different dress code and louder music. Anything you say, it's Jesus and this makes you super spiritual. Jesus and homeschool, public school, private school. Jesus and don't drink beer. Jesus and whatever. When you add the and whatever, Jesus plus anything ruins everything. And the reason that we're going at this over and over and over is because, again, it's so ingrained in us, even right now, you're thinking about someone else. It is deeply ingrained. And so Martin Luther, I think there are certain books every Christian should be required to read before they get into heaven, but that's a plus, and then Jesus strikes me down, so that's no good. But I really encourage you, you need to go home and Google Martin Luther Preface to Galatians. Right, so Galatians, the book that we're studying, Martin Luther's introduction to his work on Galatians, phenomenal. Right? You can get it online, read it, and what Luther says in there, in essence, is this. The gospel is a hammer, and your head is an anvil, and we must constantly beat the gospel into our heads continuously. We are innately in us looking to twist and change and add to make ourselves feel in some way better. And what Galatians is going to relentlessly, ruthlessly tell us is no. No, it's got to just be the gospel. So as we talk about the gospel, let's have a quick definition, right? We've been doing this every week. We will continue to do so. When we say the gospel, what do we mean? What we mean is this, and we're going to read it together, all right? We're doing this every week. We're going to read it out loud together so we're all on the same page as we dive in to Galatians. So, what is the gospel? The gospel is right standing with God that was bought by Jesus on the cross. And it is enjoyed only by faith in his work. Anything added to the gospel ruins it and you miss Jesus. This is the gospel. And what we're going to see, what we saw so last week, what we'll see again this week is, as Paul is looking to push back on these people and say, no, 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 this is the gospel, that's not the gospel. He, last week he talked about his salvation testimony, his salvation story, and he talked about how no good thing he did made it easier for God to save him, and no horrible sin he did make it more, made it more difficult for God to save him. God in his grace just saved him. And today what we're going to see is... It's not, uh, as he goes a little bit into his, his ministry story, what ministry looked like for him, uh, one of the big pushbacks against Paul was Paul's the one who's changing things around, and he's gonna, we're going to see today push back on that and say, no, 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 that's not true. I have the true gospel because God has given this to me. So here's our big idea for today, all right? Real quick, here's the big push we want you to see today. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about your heart, not your hands. All right? That's the big idea. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is about your heart, not your hands. And we'll unpack that as we go through the scripture, okay? It's about your heart and what Jesus has done in your heart, not what you can do with your hands. The gospel is about your heart and not your hands. So let's jump in together. Galatians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1. So, real quick, again from last week, Paul gets saved. He um, goes off for three years to Arabia to be discipled personally by Jesus. Then he comes back around to Jerusalem, hangs out with Peter and the boys for a couple of weeks just to check in and make sure everything is good. And then he goes off for ministry. And that's where we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 2. So he goes off for 14 years. Says, then after 14 years of doing ministry and telling people about Jesus and planting churches, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. So he goes up there, and he, he, he doesn't go there because they summoned him. He doesn't go there because he thinks he's wrong. He goes there, verse 2 says, because God told him to, right? He gets a revelation from the Lord, go to Jerusalem, talk with these guys, make sure everybody is on the same page. They are, but just to make sure everything is good, and that's exactly what he does. So that's where we pick it up in verse three but even titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised though he was a greek all right now we got to stop just for a moment and dive into this one because this is where the rubber meets the road for us okay do you have a guy named titus that's on paul's team titus is a full-fledged straight out uncircumcised bacon eating gentile greek right he is full force. He was born a Gentile Greek. He lived as a Gentile Greek. Paul came and told him about Jesus. He got saved, and now he keeps living as a Gentile Greek who loves Jesus, okay? So this is who he is. He is not Jewish. He's never been Jewish. He doesn't know Judaism. He wasn't raised in any of that, and after he got saved, he didn't start doing those things. And when he, when he takes Titus with him up to meet the, 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 the guys in Jerusalem, Peter and James and John and the guys, as he goes there, it's important that he sees even Titus wasn't compelled to be circumcised. So let's chat just for a minute about circumcision because this is the big idea in Galatians. So we've got to make sure we understand what's going on. All right. So circumcision. Who was the first person in the Bible to be circumcised? Anybody know? Quick Bible pop quiz. Abraham. I heard that. Yes. Abraham. So in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to a man named Abraham. Was Abraham a lover of God? No. He was an idol worshiper. Abraham did not know and love the God of the Bible. Abraham did his own thing. Abraham had false idols and worshiped them. Abraham was a pagan. But God comes to him just like he did many of you. You were minding your own business, doing your own sinful stuff, and somehow Jesus just showed up and said, nope, not again. This is Abraham. God comes to Abraham, calls Abraham, and says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Well, the problem is Abraham is old, and he doesn't have kids. right? So, but God says, no, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a child. It's going, to ha- it's going to happen. And Abraham is believing by faith. And you get to Genesis chapter 17. God does something special. God comes to Abraham in Genesis 17, and here's what he says to him. Genesis 17, verse 10. 
This is my covenant which you shall keep. Between me and you and your offspring after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. So, God gives Abraham circumcision as a sign. A sign of the fact that, follow with me, just like I am separating you from this world and calling you to myself, I want you to physically separate something from your body. Are you try- I'm trying to make that as PG as possible. Right, you dragon? So this is, this is the sign, all right? Just like I have called you out, I need you to physically do something to show you are separated. Yeah? So this is what he's doing. Not only Abraham does that, but all of Abraham's household does it. Every man in his household. And he does it... With a sharpened flint rock. You know God had to audibly talk to that man for that to happen. And so he does this. But here's what you got to understand. This wasn't to be an end of itself. This wasn't the point. This wasn't the whole purpose. Circumcision wasn't to be the, the, the cul-de-sac that you ended up in and just kept circling around. It was to be an on-ramp onto something better. And you see that in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy 30, Moses is speaking, and he talks to this. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring... So that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. The point was this. It wasn't, the most important thing was not that they physically did a thing. The point was that physical act pointed to a greater spiritual thing that God was wanting to do in them. Instead of circumcising their body, circumcising their heart. The point of circumcision was to be a picture pointing them to a greater reality and truth. Namely, what we'll see in just a moment, Jesus. Right? So think about it like this. So I have on the lock screen on my iPad a picture of my family. Right? So... Many of you have pictures of your family in your wallets, on your phone, all those sorts of things. So, what's the point of a picture? The point of a picture is to point you to a greater thing that you love, right? You don't look at a picture and just go, I don't look at the picture of my family and go, oh, I love that picture so much. There's a chance to spend time with my family. It's like, no, I can't go spend time with you. I'm too busy staring at this picture. I love the picture. I want to be a part of the picture. No, the picture serves as the purpose of pointing you to a greater relationship. Yes? You have the picture to remind you of the greater relationship, the person that you really love, and the picture just reminds you of that. That was the point of circumcision. Circumcision was to be a picture, pointing them to a greater thing. Not just physically removing something from your body, but spiritually God removing something from your fallen heart. Are we tracking so far? And then we see in Colossians, I want to read Colossians chapter 2 for you. Here's what it is. Colossians 2 verse 11. In him also, this is Jesus, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by by the circumcision of Christ. The idea is Jesus does something with your heart that could never fully be experienced just with your hands. Jesus does a circumcision without hands, a circumcision of your heart. 
All right, so God gave circumcision as a right and good thing, but it was supposed to point to a greater thing that's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. So it's not just about the body, it's about the heart. Now, here's the question that we keep asking every week. What in the world does that have to do with us? And the answer is everything. Our issue may not be circumcision or eating pork. But it's nonetheless the same issue. Listen to me very carefully. We keep trying to manipulate things with our bodies instead of allowing Jesus to just change our hearts. This is the whole point of Galatians. It's not about your body. It is about your hearts. We do this all the time. Circumcising the flesh instead of giving Jesus our heart and let him circumcising our hearts. When someone does something to offend you, listen to me very carefully. When someone does something to offend you and you bite your tongue so that you won't say something rude and mean to them. But internally, you're still filled with anger and bitterness and rage towards them. You just circumcised the flesh and ignored the heart. Just like Galatians. You manipulated your flesh while internally you are still filled with the sin. When you... Delete that app off your phone so you can't look at inappropriate things any longer. Well, congratulations, you're no longer physically looking at that app anymore. But a thousand times a day, you're still fantasizing and fostering those thoughts in your mind. You have circumcised the flesh and ignored the heart. This is what we're talking about. This is where the rubber meets the road for us. This is why this idea is so significant. It does matter. This is why Galatians is profoundly relevant for us. We're running around trying to manipulate our bodies so that we on the outside look spiritual. But on the inside, we have not given Jesus our hearts. So you attend church, and you join a group, and you go to a Bible study, and all those things are great. We want you to do that. But if all you're doing is trying to manipulate your actions instead of allowing Jesus to change your heart, you are missing the whole point of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about your heart, not your hands. And when we get into this, this is when we get into this bizarre game. We're like, well, okay, so I still do this bad thing and this bad thing. Okay, but at least I don't do that bad thing and that bad thing anymore. Or, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. Sure, this person's better than me, but I'm better than them. Right? So we just start ranking ourselves according to what? The outward expressions and actions of spirituality that we try to manipulate out of ourselves. This is why also you will never, ever, and there are, there are very few things I can say never, ever. But I'm going to say on this one, never, ever. You will never hear me stand up here and ask you to raise your hand to rededicate your life to Christ. That will never come out of my mouth. You know why? Not because there may be sin in your life that needs to be repented of. There is. And not because you haven't grown cold in your heart towards the things of God. You probably have. 
The reason that you'll never hear me ask you to rededicate your life to Christ is because, again, if you grew up in a Baptist church, you rededicated your life to Christ about 112 times. And when we really think about it, what it comes down to is this. You hear a sermon, you go, you know what, you're right. I am doing bad things. I am not doing the good things I need to do. You're completely right, pastors. You know what? I am going to rededicate. I'm redoubling my efforts. I'm going to stop doing those bad things. I'm going to join one of those groups you keep talking about. I'm going to do it. I am rededicating. And it doesn't work, does it? Can we just be honest? I know we're in church and this is no place to be honest, but let's give it a shot. It didn't work. It didn't work the first 111 times. The 112th won't be the magic one. Why? Because all you're doing in that is seeking to circumcise the flesh instead of letting Jesus have your heart. This is everything. And the reason that we push so hard on this, the reason I, 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 I go so hard on this, the reason I keep talking about it, the reason we're going through the book of Galatians is because when you give yourself to the external, when you focus on the external, when you give yourself to what the Bible would call legalism, when you do that, you ultimately just create spiritual slavery. And, and you see that in verse 4. So if you're, if you're still in Galatians 2, look at verses 4 and 5. So, Paul circles back around, goes to Jerusalem. He's meeting with the guys. All that's going well. Titus isn't compelled to be circumcised. All is going great. But, verse 4, something happens. Some guys show up. Verse 4. Yet, because of false brothers, fake Christians. Now, they may think they're Christians, but they're actually not. I don't know if you've met that guy. Because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Let's talk just for a minute about spiritual slavery. It says there these fake brothers came in to spy out the freedom that they had so that they might bring them into slavery. Where does spiritual slavery come from? So think about Paul and these fake brothers. More than likely, they both wanted the same end goal. Right? Both wanted these Galatian Christians to glorify God and live a life that um, honors God and obeys God. Like they all wanted that. That was, that was what they wanted. Both would agree on that. The issue was how they defined that and how they sought out that. That makes sense? Paul wanted to pursue the hearts and let Jesus Christ change hearts. And as a result of that, your actions began to follow. These fake brothers said, no, 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 no. What we want to do is make sure you obey these rules. And if you do this, stop doing that and start doing this, then you're going to live a life that glorifies God. And in the result of that, what they actually brought in was not salvation and not spiritual fruit and not an actual changed life, but spiritual slavery. So again, let's be honest just for a quick second. How many of you grew up in that kind of home or went to that kind of church? 
a home or a church that focus more on making sure you look good and obey the rules. A home or church that focus more on what those bad people are doing and don't be like those bad people. A, a situation where it was not about Christ changing your heart, but you make sure you watch your hands. And what did it do for us? It crushed our souls. It damaged us. It completely distorted the gospel. It jacked up your view of God. It, it, it made you not understand how the grace and mercy of God sends you running to the Lord. Instead, you were just constantly afraid that he was going to squash you. It brings spiritual slavery. It is not freedom. It is not life-giving. It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It destroys. So for us, let's take an honest look at our families and at our church. Are we families and are we a church that seeks to glorify God by lifting up the gospel of Jesus Christ and asking him to do a work in hearts? Or are we just trying to get People to look the part and obey. Think about family. So if you have kids, right? So kids do things and they need to be disciplined, right? It needs to happen, right? Proverbs, you ever heard the proverb that says, spare the rod, spoil the child? That's actually not the most accurate translation. The most accurate translation of that says, spare the rod and you hate your son. Not disciplining your kid shows that you hate them, not that you love them. So you have to discipline your kid. That's true. And discipline for each kid is different. I don't know about you. We got four kids, and how we discipline each child is different. Like I got one kid. You just look at them wrong, and they start bursting out into tears and confessing things you didn't know they did. Right? I got another kid. You need video evidence. Right? Do you have that kid? And even then, they're like, that ain't me. Mm -mm. That ain't me. You're wearing the same clothes. These ain't my clothes. I don't even know who these are. I don't even know what you're talking about. It's not me. So discipline may need to look different for each kid and situation, but the fact that we need to discipline is not up for debate. That's biblical. It's right. It's good. If you love your kids, you got to do that. It needs to happen. The issue, though, is this. Listen to me very carefully. What's the end goal of the discipline? Is the end goal of the discipline to simply get them to stop doing the bad thing? To start doing a better thing and maybe, heaven help us, stop embarrassing you. If that's the end goal, you will just produce spiritual slavery. This is why kids are great youth group kids and go to college and lose their minds. Because it's just obey, obey, do the right thing, do the right thing, do the right thing, do the right thing. So then how do we do this? Well, we discipline our kids, whatever that needs to look like, right? If you spank, if you, if you do timeout or grounding. For us, we opt to just tase our children, right? Just, just taser, right? Just find that works awesome, like whatever. But as you discipline your child, so if they're if they're a follower of Christ, here's what that looks like. So listen to me. Here's, let's just kind of walk this out. If they're a follower of Christ, here's how we handle this. All right, so you did this thing. 
I have to discipline you. But are you a Christian? Well, yeah. You love Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus has changed your heart. Yeah. Okay, then you need to also take time to ask Jesus to convict you of this sin and empower you to truly be changed from the inside out. Now, we're still going to discipline you because we have to do that. But ultimately, you need Jesus to change your heart, and so you need to spend some time asking him to do that. Or if your child is not a Christian, you discipline them. You say, I'm going to discipline you because you have to be disciplined. But this is why you need to give your life to Christ. Because at the end of the day, you can't change you, and I can't change you. You need Jesus to change you. This is why your mom and I, we pray every day for your salvation. Because at the end of the day, you need Jesus to change your heart. You see the difference? You still discipline. You still correct. You still point in the right direction. But the ultimate goal is the heart, not the hands. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about changing your heart. It is about what Jesus has done to change your heart, not what you can do to make your hands obey better. The reason many of us struggle so mightily to enjoy being Christians is because our entire focus is on our hands, and we just can't get them clean enough. The gospel is Jesus Christ has already perfectly purified your heart. Trust by faith in him. Your hands will follow. Maybe give it some time. It'll work out. Trust the Lord. Trust him. He's going to do this work. It's about your heart, not your hands. For us as a church. I mean, you ever been to a church that's more about your hands than your heart? How do we do this? Well, for our kids' ministry. Our kids' ministry called, is called Kids' Quest here. The reason we call it that is because we are taking our kids on a treasure hunt to find the greatest treasure in the world, Jesus Christ. And when they find Jesus Christ as the greatest treasure, he will change their heart and their hands are going to follow. Our youth ministry. Pastor Ryan in our youth ministry, he's retooling and revamping and changing up some things. He's wrapping it around 2 Corinthians 3.18. The idea that as you look to Jesus, more and more and more, he's going to be the one to change your heart. It's not about don't drink and don't have sex and don't go to parties and don't do those bad things. It's about you look to Jesus, and if you look to Jesus, he's going to change your heart, and then your hands are going to follow. Our journey groups, our adult small groups, Pastor Steve does a great job of spending time with those leaders, discipling them, encouraging them, training them up to have those groups focus on the heart, not just the hands. And, and I want you to see real quick also, if you look at that last part of verse 5 again. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. It was super tempting. and I, I love what Paul's like. We didn't, we didn't submit for a moment. We didn't debate. We didn't try to come to some mutual understanding. Right? It wasn't like, okay, I'll tell them that they can't eat bacon, but I can't tell them about circumcision. That's not going to work. So I'll give you one and take the other. It's like we didn't yield for a moment. And the reason I want to focus on that just for a second is, let's be honest. It's really easy. When we focus on the external, it feels like a quick and easy win. 
well, at least they're not doing that anymore. At least I'm not doing that anymore. At least that's out of my life. Okay, at least that's done. But is your heart truly changed? Don't submit to this even for a moment. Ladies, listen to me. I love you. Listen to me, ladies. I don't know all of you personally, but I'm going to bet there isn't a single woman in this room whose middle name is Holy Spirit. Stop trying to manipulate his hands and pray that Jesus gets his heart. Men, I know we've got a, a surge of men who want to lead their families well. I praise God for that, yes. But make sure you lead in a way where you're focusing on the heart and not the hands. Remember Ephesians 6 warned fathers, don't anger your kids needlessly. How do we do that? By fussing about their hands so much and never going after the heart. Don't submit to this even for a second. It's going to be super tempting. At least my kid looks better. At least our marriage looks better. At least we're going to church now. At least we're doing those things. It's going to be really tempting to submit for a moment. At least we're externally looking better. Don't submit to that even for a minute. Not even for a second. Because it's about the heart and not the hands. And, and it's neat also, real quick, if you jump down to verse 6. So when we see that the gospel is about the heart and not the hands, what this also does is it frees us up to allow ministry to look differently and be okay with that. Look at verse 6. And for those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So here's the point. When they realized the gospel is about the heart and not the hands, there was freedom for them to allow ministry to look different. Peter's going to the Jews, and so, yeah, he needs to be circumcised and be cool with that and understand people are going to have issues with that. Yes, but Paul, he's not going to that group. He's going to a different group. So he needs to say, all right, guys, we're not going to worry about circumcision because this is going to be a needless stumbling block. The point is this. Ministry gets to look different in different places and context because it's about the heart, not the hands. Occasionally, I get invited to go speak at uh, really much more traditional churches than ours. And when I do get those invitations, you know what I do? I put on my best suit, and I pull out my King James Bible, and I show up and I do it. But here's the thing. What I wear in the version that I preach out of doesn't change me or the message. That all stays the same, but I understand I don't want to needlessly cause them to stumble. And so I, I change that up a little bit. Make it look a little different because it's about the heart and not the hands. Ministry here. Listen, if we're all still here doing this a decade from now, it's probably going to look much different than it does today. It just probably is. We're going to do it different. Because things change. Things are just different now. 
I mean, 15 years ago, you didn't have a supercomputer in your pocket. Things change. It will be no different here. It will be no different. Because the gospel that we're proclaiming is about the heart, not the hands. And so if it needs to look different to connect with the heart, we're totally cool with that. As long as we can go for the heart. So I'm going to ask our band to come up. And I want to end where we began. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about your heart and not your hands. So just for a minute, I need every one of us in this room to do some real introspection, okay? If you're a Christian, as a Christian, have you focused more on your hands or your heart? Have you tried hard to manipulate your actions? Or have you just said, Jesus Christ, you can take my heart? Here's my heart, you do with it whatever you want. Have you put needless rules on other people? Have you allowed your ministry, your home, your friendship circle to look more like spiritual slavery than the freedom that comes from Jesus Christ because you are super concerned that everybody does something a certain way? If you're not a Christian... First, let me say this. It, if you had an experience in your family or your church that felt more like spiritual slavery than the freedom of Jesus Christ, I want you to know I'm sorry. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again so that you can be set free, not be enslaved. In John three seventeen, Jesus says that the Son, him, Jesus Christ came not to condemn the world but to save the world came to save you and set you free. Today, see that Jesus Christ desires to set you free. Turn by faith in him and let him do that. So let's bow our heads. I want to pray for us. And as we end our time together, again, here's the question. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about your heart and not your hands. So step one for that today, have you given Jesus your heart? What's the focus? What's your attention on? Your hands, your, your family's hands, your church's hands, what you do, how you're perceived, what you, or is it Jesus Christ moving in your heart? So today, as we in our time worshiping together, we're going to worship together, proclaiming the truth. Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my heart. Those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, I encourage you today, fresh, pronounce to Jesus that he has your heart. You cut away anything you want to cut away. You do in me anything you want to do. You restore in me anything you want to restore. My heart is yours. I trust you. Do a work in my heart today. I need to be on the inside set free from bitterness. On the inside set free from lust. On the inside set free from jealousy and anger and wrath. I need to be set free from these things on the inside. Jesus, take my heart. And if you're not a Christian today, I want to encourage you today. Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again to give you a new heart. Ask him today to do that. Jesus Christ, take my sin and give me a new heart. I belong to you. Thank you, Jesus. 
do this in us, your people, right now for your glory. It's in your name we pray. you to stand and sing with us. We are free to sit and pray and, and ponder these truths. However the Spirit of God calls you to respond, church, I pray that you would be obedient and we would worship Him through these things.
thank you. I thank you for the work that you're doing. I thank you, God, that you are setting us free. I ask you, Lord God, that you would continue to do that. I pray, Lord, that we would be more and more, we'll just see greater and greater levels of just the gospel of Jesus Christ, how glorious and amazing and beautiful it is, that we would be forever completely, totally changed by your grace, your love, your new life. Thank you. We love you. Continue to do this work in us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Real quick, I'm so sorry before you leave. Real quick, uh, housekeeping. Uh, we're going to rekey the church uh, October 4th and 5th. So if you have a position in our church that requires a key, you can come by and pick a new one up starting October 6th, all right? That first week of October, your key is going to be no good. We want to give you a new one. So come by the church, get that new key starting October 6th. All right. I love you guys. Have a great week. God bless you.